Well, did you bring a Bible with you this morning? All right, if you've got your Bible, I want you to take it, turn to the prophet Isaiah, the ninth chapter. We're going to be looking together over the next several weeks at the prophet Isaiah in this ninth chapter, so you're going to know some of these verses by memory by the time Christmas arrives. You see up on the screen before you the word Advent. I started talking several months ago about Advent. I had someone say, Pastor, we're Baptists. <laughs> yeah, I know that. Well, Baptists don't do Advent. Really? You know what? I got to looking back through my records, and what I discovered was simply this, that in the 12 years that I've been here with you, I have preached about the coming of Christ for a month every year. Now, you may not have known you were doing Advent, but you were doing Advent. And this year, we're going to focus upon the coming of the Christ and who this Christ really is. Isaiah lived in perilous times. It was a troubled time. The world was changing. The political landscape was altering. And all around him, there were gathering clouds of darkness. He he didn't know everything that was coming, but within a generation, his beloved nation of Israel would be taken into captivity. The land would be wasted and lie idle and virtually uninhabited. The cities would be torn down. Their gates would be burned. Vineyards would be uprooted. Olive groves and orchards would be cut down. And only a small remnant of the people of Israel would remain in that land. The only ones left behind from the captivity were the aged and the weak. But far away, Isaiah saw light, a bright spot in the future, a spot that only God could reveal to him. In the midst of his prophecy of destruction and darkness and gloom, God spoke a prophetic word of hope and life, that there was a king coming. And folks, I want you to understand with me who that king is. Isaiah explained it to us the very best I think possible in the ninth chapter of his prophecy. I want us to look together at some very familiar words and some that you're going to say, well, I haven't heard this before, but much of it you will have heard. It's found in Isaiah chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. If you have your Bible open there, if you can and will, I want to invite you to stand with me this morning in honor of our Heavenly Fathers. We read together from His Word. The prophet writes and he says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men re rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. 
Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, before we turn from this passage, I want to invite you to look once more at verse 6. For to us, a child is born. And to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Who is Jesus to you? Would you pray with me? Our Father, in these moments we ask you to speak to our hearts. Open our understanding and help us to see, to know, to grasp the truth of who Jesus really is. And Father, as these days unfold before us, may we approach Christmas with a sense of wonder, a sense of awe at who you are, what you have done, and what you are still at work doing in our world today. Father, reveal yourself to us. Through your son, Jesus Christ. For it's in his precious name that we pray and ask these things. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. I've always loved Isaiah chapter 9. I love verse 2 where he says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. The picture of people wandering in darkness, groping, grasping, falling, tripping, not being able to see, to keep their feet, stumbling through the darkness. And yet in the midst of that, he says, a great light has come. But what is that light? I mean, we're still living in darkness. Our world is still tormented with sin. Our world is still torn apart by war and evil and wickedness. What is this light? Well, he defined the light for us in verse 6. We read it twice just a moment ago. If you've got your Bible open, I hope and pray that you'll look at it again. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. Everything that controls this world will be under his authority. That's what that means. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He says, as we move into this Advent season, folks, we need to focus on the true star of Bethlehem. It's not what was in the heavens, but it was he who came from heaven. The manger child, the incarnation, the Christ of that first Christmas. John said it like this, describing Jesus as the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. The world needed Jesus then. 
The world needed Jesus in the day of Isaiah, six centuries prior to his arrival. The world needs Jesus today. We still need to see, to recognize, to know him for who he is. I just tell you this, friends, and I believe this with all of my heart. Our world needs the light of Christ to shine in its darkness today. That's our only hope. That is our hope for peace. Why? Because his name is wonderful. I just want to spend the next five weeks taking apart this list. Beginning this morning with this word, wonderful. Wonderful. That describes Jesus as I know him. I sat down, I started thinking, how do you mean wonderful? Well, first off, let's just get this. Names carry meaning. Every one of you in this room has a name. Each of your names has a meaning. Some of you know the meaning of your name. Many of you do not. But I want you to understand that names carry meaning. Now, in our world, many names are just randomly chosen. It's what's popular right now. What's in the baby book is the most popular name right now. That, that's how a lot of folks get their names. It's just a random thing. For others, they're named after family members. There's a, a family tradition by which names are passed down from generation to generation. Many people in our world have names that simply do not fit them. It's true. The name Alan. Anybody in here named Alan? That's my middle name. Alan, Alan means harmony. But I've known a, a number of people named Alan who caused disunity anywhere they went. I mean, they were just, they caused problems. Or, or Christopher. Anyone named Christopher in here? Christopher means Christ bearer. One who brings honor to Christ. But I've known some people named Christopher whose lives did anything but bring honor to Christ. I mean, it's just a reality. Some names are just randomly chosen, and they really don't fit the people who have them. Now, guys, you're sitting there saying, man, he's picking on the guys today. Paula. Anybody named Paula? Oh, I'm so glad. <laughs> Paula means little and demure. But I've known some Paulas who were large, loud-mouthed women, hard to get along with. Nancy. Anybody named Nancy in here? Man, I picked the, I, I, I really did good on this. I was trying to figure out who wasn't here. <laughs> Nancy means graceful. We had a pianist in one of our churches named Nancy. I cannot tell you how many times she fell up or down the stairs getting on and off the platform. Graceful was not what she was, but that was her name. Not all people fit their names, and not all names fit the people they have, given, have been given to. But I want you to know something about Jesus. The names that God has given to him fit him to a T. He is wonderful. His name fits him completely. Jesus is wonderful in every way. He's wonderful in grace and greatness. He left glory. He left heaven and came to earth on a great mission of grace. 
Now, I want to tell you something. There's no one who's ever done anything like that. No one who can do anything like that. His greatness is to be proclaimed. It was a mission of grace, touching the deepest needs of the hearts of men and women and boys and girls with great grace. And he still does that same work in wonder in the lives of those who trust him today. He was wonderful in mercy and majesty. In mercy, he, he, he was the sinless one who came and took sin upon himself in order to ensure our forgiveness. And, and people who were alienated from God, cut off from God, walking and living in darkness, he came to bring light and life and hope and a future. So what about majesty? I'm going to tell you something. The world may look upon it as a shame. The world may look upon it as a, a pitiful sight. But I want to tell you, with great majesty, he walked to the cross. With great majesty, his body was removed from the cross and carried to a borrowed tomb. And with great, great majesty and divine power, he overcame death and the grave in order to become our Savior and ensure eternal life. Jesus is wonderful. He's wonderful in patience and in power. With infinite patience, he works in the hearts and lives of those who would trust him. Patient because he shouldn't be. Our sin deserves death. Our wickedness deserves destruction. But he is patient and long-suffering, not desiring that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's patient and he's powerful. He is the only name. His is the only name given among men. Under heaven and on earth by which men can be saved. He is the one who has the power to redeem. To take sin and wash it away and make you as if it never were. He's the only one who can take you and make you into a new creation. His name is wonderful. His name carries meaning. But wonderful? I mean, really, what does wonderful mean? What does it really mean? To, uh, grab a hold of this. The Old Testament word for wonderful is Pele. And there are multiple translations for it. One is miraculous. Another possible translation is lovely. It can also mean distinguished or set apart from the rest. For me, it's all of that. Oh, but there's more. There's the sense of awe and astonishment and reverence. Isaiah used this word, this name, wonderful, as a proper name in his prophecy. So it means the wonderful one. Wonderful. I want you to follow that concept through the life of Jesus this morning with me, if you will, for a moment. His birth is wonderful. This concept appears in the New Testament. In Luke chapter 2, verse 18, where we read, All who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. The words, were amazed, have also been translated filled with wonder. All who heard it were filled with wonder at what the shepherds said to them. Why? Because he's wonderful. 
It fills us with wonder. In Luke 2, 33, we read that the child's father and mother, Mary and Joseph, marveled, or some translations say, wondered at what was said about him. Wonder. When we come to this time of year, we begin to to look and move toward Bethlehem and the manger, we should be filled with wonder. What happened at Bethlehem? Have you ever released, I mean, okay, it's Christmas. I get it. 23 shopping days left till Christmas. I got it. But have you really thought about what happened at Bethlehem? It's God's greatest mystery. It's the most amazing thing that has ever happened in the history of the world. You say, well, you're kind of making a big deal out of it. It is a big deal. The eternal one, the ancient of days, became a man-child. Think about it in these kind of terms, if you would. Omnipotence. All power in a baby's hands. Omniscience. All-knowing in the eyes of a baby. God himself cradled in the arms of a young mother. And the voice of God in the cry of an infant. How amazing is that? The world has never seen anything like it before or since. His birth is wonderful. His life is wonderful. In Luke 5, 26, we read about him healing a paralyzed man. And just after that, it says this, everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe. What that means is they wondered at what they had seen and heard. The Gospels are filled with records of wonderful miracles. Have you ever just read one of the Gospels? doesn't matter. Pick one randomly. Just read it and go through and mark the miracles. Just jot down every miracle that occurs. It's astounding what he did. Storms that were calmed. Healing events like those that had never been seen before. The dead coming back to life. Midnight strolls across stormy seas. But more important for someone like me, the freeing of those who were demon-possessed or in bondage to sin and their own wickedness. Is it really any wonder that Isaiah said he would be called wonderful? The Gospels are are filled with his wonderful teachings. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Sit down and and just read through a number of the parables that he told and, and see how he taught such amazing things. Luke 4, 22 says, They were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Everywhere we read, people were amazed. They were in awe. They were filled with wonder. Why? Because he's wonderful. Beyond anything or anyone they had ever known or seen or heard before. His birth is wonderful. His life is wonderful. But let me tell you one last thing about this. His death and resurrection are wonderful. 
Now, I know probably somebody's thinking, wait a minute, you just said death is wonderful? No, I said his death is wonderful. You see, I'm not alone in this. The apostle Paul wrote, and he spoke of glorying in the cross of Christ. It is in his life and in his death and in his resurrection that we find hope. Recall with me what happened, if you would. In order to satisfy a bloodthirsty mob, Pilate had Jesus beaten. He was bloodied. He was crowned with thorns. He was, uh, he was clothed with a purple robe so that he could be mocked as a king. And then he stood before Pilate to be questioned. The scriptures tell us Jesus made no reply. Not even to a single charge. To the great amazement of the governor. Pilate was in awe of this man who stood before him, condemned as a common criminal. And Pilate wasn't alone in his amazement. Jesus' atoning death has become the greatest riddle in history. There's no answer for it. The human mind can embrace it by faith, but can in no way understand it or fully comprehend how or why or even what God was thinking when he did it. He was manifested in the flesh. He was crucified by men, among men, so that on the cross as he pardoned and paid the penalty for sin, he cleansed men who were sinners. Oh, but we're headed to Christmas, right? And here we are talking about the death and resurrection. I'm not going to leave you at Calvary this morning, my friends. Oh, no. No, no. You see, it doesn't stop there. Because on the third day after the crucifixion, some women followers of Jesus went to the tomb to anoint the dead body of the Lord. But they were not prepared for what they found, what they saw, what they heard, and what they discovered on that morning. You see, the tomb was empty. And there was an angel there who told them, he's not here, he is risen. And the women, in their amazement and in their wonder, went and reported what they had seen and heard. And it caused such an uproar among the disciples. Peter and John took off in a foot race to see who could get to the tomb first. John got there first, but he was a little bit of a coward. He didn't go inside. Peter blew right past him at the finish, ducked inside. And Luke 24, 12 tells us he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away wondering to himself what had happened. His wonderful birth, life, death, and resurrection mean to me this morning that he is a wonderful Savior. I don't know what he is to you, but he is my wonderful Savior. He's wonderful because of who he is. People want to know who is this Jesus Christ whose birth we celebrate each December. And I challenge you, don't get lost. Don't get lost in the mess of stuff that will cover him up, that will blind your heart, your mind, your eyes to the reality of what Christmas is about. 
People are still trying to figure it out. Perhaps some of you in this room are trying to figure it out. I've heard all of the different options. Well, preacher, do you believe he's the best man who ever lived? Absolutely, without doubt, he was. Do you think he was a prophet? Yes, he was. Do you think he was a king? Absolutely. Was he a priest? No doubt about it. Was he a great teacher? The best that ever lived. But scriptures reveal he was more than that. More than just a good man, more than just a prophet or a priest or a teacher. He was different from everyone else. He was the God-man. Eternal God clothed in human flesh. Incarnation. It was God stepping out of eternity and into time just for a little while to dwell among us so that he could understand who we were and the depth and greatness of our need. He was the one who came to be our Savior. He didn't begin to be when he was born in Bethlehem. He always was. John says that he was at the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. And all things were created by him and without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life. And that life is the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. Oh, now we're back to Isaiah, aren't we? And the darkness can never conquer it. When Jesus was born, it wasn't his beginning. It was just the beginning of his visible manifestation as one of us. Paul speaks about it as Christ emptying himself out. Laying aside his divine glory in order that he might become incarnate. Because of his substitutionary death on the cross, Christ has been exalted to the right hand of the Father. And because of that, he is worthy of our worship and our praise, not just during the Christmas season, not just during the time of Advent, but always, every day, throughout our lives. Because you see, my friends, there's coming a time when you're going to worship him. Today, you can choose to worship him, or you can choose not to. He gives you that opportunity. But there's coming a day when you're not going to be given a choice. Because God's word tells us that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Today you get to choose. Do you want to worship him or don't you? You can or you can't. But one day you will. All of creation will worship him because he is the Son of of God. He is my wonderful Savior. He's wonderful because of what he did, what he said, what he does. You see, the words that Jesus said contain divine truth concerning eternity and life and salvation and hope. 
And those words, just as they blessed people in his day, they still bless the lives of people today. One of my favorite phrases out of Scripture when I was a child, I heard it so many times in Sunday school, I could quote it. I thought it was a Bible verse. It's just a fragment. But it says, Jesus went about doing good. And he did. But the greatest good that Jesus did was when he laid down his life for our sin. That's the heart of the gospel. You leave that out, and this book means nothing. It's the heart of the gospel. But it brings me to one question that I have to ask this morning. What can Jesus do for you today? What can Jesus do for you? Have you thought about that? If you haven't, let me just fill in a couple of blanks for you. He can forgive every sin you have ever committed or will commit. He can cleanse you from all unrighteousness and make you holy and pure in the sight of eternal God. He can bestow upon you the gift of eternal life even as he blesses you to live abundantly in this life today. And he can provide guidance and offer peace as you move into the future that is uncertain. And perhaps filled with darkness. Friends, listen to me. As Christmas approaches, I'm convinced that those who will stop and look and think upon the events that happened so long ago will find themselves filled with a sense of wonder at this one whose name is wonderful. The world scoffed at him then. Still does today. Those he came to in his own time chose to reject him. Many today still choose to reject him. But this morning, I'm standing here ready to do one thing, and that is to tell you with all the confidence that I can muster up that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke 27 centuries ago, six centuries before his arrival in Bethlehem, that his name will be called Wonderful. Say, how do you know that? Because he's wonderful to me. He is my Savior. He is my Deliverer. He is my hope and my future and my life. He is my past, He is my present, and He is my future. He is that to which I anchor all of my life, the good times and the bad. He is the one who will carry me through the dark hours of this life. He is the one who will shine the light into my darkness and make life livable whenever the rest of the world thinks there is no reason to continue on. He is wonderful to me. I want to know, is he wonderful to you? If he is, you should rejoice in this one who's called wonderful. If he's not, then all I can tell you is this. You don't know my Jesus. But today he wants to meet you. Today he wants you to enter into a relationship with him and realize, know and experience how wonderful he is. Are you ready for that? I promise you this. 
It will change the way you see Christmas for the rest of your life. Let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, we're going to stand together and sing a song of commitment, a song of surrender. I want to give you the opportunity to respond to this wonderful Savior. Is he wonderful to you? If he is, my friend, you ought to rejoice in that today. Rejoice with all that you are and all that you have. But if you would say, he's not wonderful to me, he's just a name on a page, a figure in the past. If that's the case, I want you to know my Jesus today. You see, he loves you. He knows you by name. He came into this world for you and for me. He laid down his life so that we could have life and hope. I found it. And today you can too. If you call on him, confess your sin to him, ask his forgiveness, turn from your sin and pursue him with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your passion. And let him make you a new creation. Is he wonderful to you? Would you let him become wonderful today? Father, I thank you for your word. Sometimes a word seems so simple to us. Wonderful. It is a simple word. But it's not simple when we apply it to Jesus Christ. Well, we could spend hours, hours describing what makes him wonderful. Hours describing what he does to change lives. Father, the testimonies of your people through the centuries. He saved a worm such as I. A wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. It's all because of this one called Wonderful. Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus. And if there's someone here today who does not know him as Lord and Savior, I pray, Father, draw them to yourself. As we enter into this Advent season, let them celebrate the fact that he came and that he's coming again as Savior and Lord. Father, you've spoken to us through your word. I pray now that your Holy Spirit would speak softly to each heart. Draw us to you. Fill our hearts with wonder as we look upon the Christ. Have your way in each of our lives. Be glorified in us, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.